Hello and welcome to the Antifada, where unrest is best. I'm Jamie Peck. I am Sean Kaybu. I'm AP Andy. And we are still reunited here in good old Brooklyn, USA. Um, the graveyard of America. <laughs> in, indeed. Um, Andy's still back from Mexico, although he will be going to Cuba soon. I'm very jealous. Um, I was I was trying to, I was asking if you could get some good material from there, and uh, I think you might go for that. Some interviews at a Trotskyist conference from Cuba sounds pretty dope. Yeah, I'll be at a Trotskyist conference in Havana that I don't know very much about. <laughs> but if you're somehow a Cuban listener, <laughs> please get in touch. And then actually after that, I will be doing uh, the Red May conference in Seattle the second week of May. So Seattle listeners. Hope to see you there. I'll post details on Twitter. Cool. What is that? What's the... It's like a month-long uh, series of events about communism and Marxism at different venues in Seattle, and I'll, I'm invited to do the, the second week of it. Nice. Awesome. People from Commune Hello. are doing the first week. Oh, hell yeah. Mm -hmm. Shout out Commune. Shout out Yeah, commune. so check out Red May. Red May. Our little globe-trotting anarcho-mapache. <laughs> so uh. we also uh, have a little bit of news, I guess, um, we are working hard on these uh, Dr. Intifada's prize packs, whatever you want to call them. By we, we mean mostly Andy, but yes, we're helping too. We uh, <laughs> went to Andy's house last night and had a little envelope stuffing party. So we're pleased to report that we're going to get a whole bunch of them out to you guys very soon. Hell yeah. Yeah, so we said anyone who signs up at the $5 level until we reach 666, which are we're really close to yeah, doing, which are. is so great. Hell yeah. Um, can get a Dr. Antifa's prize pack. Um, so if you, uh, if you qualify for that, please put your address on the Patreon. Make sure your address is correct. You'll be getting one uh, probably by May. And what's in the prize packs? Should we leave a secret? Or we got a little handwritten card. Yeah. We got some stickers. Yeah. A letterpress Antifada slash America crossover card which is really cool union made uh stickers yeah and everything union made at our friends at radix media a left-wing cooperative print shop in brooklyn oh yeah we stuffed uh what the 250 last i don't even know how many it was but the consolation was that we brought beer and cider and andy made us an excellent dinner and jake flores showed up it was good it was actually a really good time and in the course of that, we also started talking, and I'm just going to tease this a little bit because details are still being worked out, but we talked a bit about uh, the potential of a live show coming up to be determined in the you know, next two, three months, maybe? OMG. <laughs> and uh, I think just to tease a little bit more, uh, our friend and our comrade and uh, host, co-host of our sister podcast, Pod Damn America, will be intimately involved in such an event so do so wait. intimate he's going to so. be doing burlesque <laughs> <laughs> actually uh do you want to say you might actually be doing burlesque or is it too oh, early <laughs> um well uh i have locked down a, a special performance for the dsa party may 4th who i i may also ask to perform at our live show her name is comrade barbie Hell yeah. she is a communist drag queen and i'm told her performance is very interesting. With all the dark shit in the world, I just love that there's a communist drag queen out there. Just makes everything mm -hmm. thing a, a bit better. You know? Yep. Her uh, her one drag queen show is called Come On Barbie, Let's Go Party. <laughs> and I think it should be some really good edutainment for everyone. I think so. 
All right, folks. So uh, we're going to do this interview with uh, Ellie Valley now. So Yeah, we, we actually did the interview already. I, I'm so bad at pretending. Um, I think we went some pretty interesting places with it. So um, here it is. Enjoy. All right. So we are here with artist and writer Ellie Valley author of the recent book, Diaspora Boy. Um, and we're going to have a conversation about some, uh, some Jew stuff, I think. Looking forward to it, yes. All right. So I think Sean has a question that he would like to kick it off with. Well, it's, you know, for people who are familiar with leftist spaces, and this is one of them, you have to do progressive stack. So since I am the studio goy, the only Gentile in the room, I think it's only right that I should go first as the minority in the room. Um, so... Ellie, you're an expert at this shit. I don't know much. Again, Goya shit is fuck, and that's fine. Um, Jamie did give me a shtetl pass before I came in here today, but still, I'm a little out of my element. Um, I've heard for like the last few months, I'm not sure if it's a foreign word or if it's like a neologism, but there's this term. It's like T-R-O-P-E-S. Tropez. Uh, tropez. Is I, I don't even know how to say it, yeah, honestly. It's, it's a Caribbean but, island. <laughs> San Tropez. That's where it comes mm-hmm. from. Yeah. I, I, I Apparently, I don't know West Indian it's culture. the most anti-Semitic either. country in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a trope right there, I guess. <laughs> so can you maybe explain to us what it is, uh, what a trope is exactly, and uh, why people are talking about it so much these days? Well, actually, I missed that whole uh, side of that conversation about Ilhan Omar. The, just the word. I just suddenly I saw it on the transom. I'm like, why do they keep using this term? So I'm actually the same way. Oh. But I, I'm supposing what they're saying is tropes means uh, certain words or uh, forms of vernacular which intersect with or are overtly uh, anti-Semitic, right? A- am I wrong? Is that, is that how they're using it? Tropes? I, I think that, that, that that's what I've gotten from it. Yeah, um, but it's, it's been wildly misused and abused by bad faith assholes. Now... As a writer and comic, and darest I say bomb thrower yourself, have you ever been accused of using such tropes never, in your work? Never, never, Not never, at never, once? never, never. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, people who um, disagree with my politics or with my defense of diaspora Jewish, especially diaspora Jewish left um, authenticity, call me anti-Semitic because uh, they're afraid of debating the actual issues. Not that I'm into, like, debating the shitheads. I think... What they mean when they, they say trope, at least in this, this recent cycle, is that uh, somebody's reiterating an element of racist propaganda, usually in isolation, but signaling fidelity to the broader propagandist narrative. So it's kind of like a dog whistle, but maybe okay. aesthetic or like, you know, putting oh. a dollar sign instead of an S. Okay. So I think there's like a rational kernel to it, because obviously racist people or like, you know, maybe people who haven't like really thought out. Um, how they're supporting Palestine enough do end up using anti-Semitic tropes. Okay, but I think also we in th- this is like a very clear this cycle about Ilan Omar. It's very clear that it's trying to avoid what she's saying, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I didn't realize that tropes also can be used. Uh, the word trope can be used to describe um, uh, dog whistles too. That's interesting. But yeah, uh, they they've been using this as a way to um, to erase her essentially as as a critic of America's relationship with Israel that is the, that is the uh third rail which she touched slightly clumsily <laughs> we have to admit i yeah. mean uh she didn't say it with the most um perhaps uh mellifluous delivery um but certainly wasn't anti-semitism and they're using this in order to destroy her and uh, i think it's interesting I, 
I mean, the, the anti-Ilhan um, agenda or uh, sort of, you know, the term assault is maybe a bit excessive, but it's been going on for months, but it really reached sort of a fever pitch a couple of weeks ago. And now New Zealand and every single person who contributed to uh, the vilification of Ilhan Omar will deny that they contributed to an Islamophobic hate fest. Mm -hmm. So how did it feel to end up in a bit of a fight this week? It was this week, right? Things are happening so fast. It feels like fast. six months ago. With yeah, um, the Jewish activist Megan McCain. Yeah. And wield <laughs> your tropes against her. <laughs> it was insane. Here, I just want to say, uh, I was just like, you know, sort of flabbergasted that she would tweet it at all. Everyone else was going off on the whole fact that here's a clearly Gentile woman accusing a Jewish artist of anti-Semitism. But I didn't even see that. I didn't even like... Um, phase me for a while because I've been just so used to being called an anti-Semite by Jews who are right-wing on Israel that it just makes sense that the person that they and, – and they, they were doing this online. They were, like, welcoming her in with open arms, like Bethany Mandel saying, you know, come to my Shabbos and stuff. Because uh, to them uh, – she's not evangelical, but, you know, Christian Zionists are more Jewish than me. This is part of the whole process of erasing American Jews. That's so creepy, man. Like, uh, I'm just starting to learn about, I mean, I knew I, I'm a bad Jew. I don't know enough of my own people's history. Sorry. No but, one's a bad Jew. <laughs> thank you. Uh, and, like, I am very comfortable with my current, uh, I don't want to say level, because I don't think I'm any less Jewish than other Jewish people, but my current exactly. style of Jewishness, right? My own interpretation you went to college in new york i don't know if i don't want to dox you but i'm pretty sure that you're pretty jewish i i you know ask my husband i guess yeah yeah, yeah. Sort don't. Of checks out <laughs> but, um, i feel like i'm living I, I feel like i'm tevia in our apartment and i'm just living the filler on the roof dream every day oh my god not really i'm, I'm joking oh my god where was i going with this what were you talking about before you're feeling less jewish erased my before mind before i derailed you um uh, you, you were, were you oh yeah okay so I only recently started to kind of dig into the details of the Zionist coalition mm -hmm. um, because you know I've always known just being being an anti-Zionist doesn't mean that you're anti-Semitic and being a Zionist doesn't mean that you're not anti-Semitic right but only recently did I start digging into the insane anti-Semitic views of some of the people in the Zionist coalition. Yeah. Like we watched this Vice documentary where Thomas Morton goes to Israel and they have those tours for like evangelical Christians uh -huh. who support Israel because they think it's going to play a role in the end times where which will which will end in most of the Jews dying right. and going to hell unless you convert so, unless you yeah. convert to you Christianity yeah. at which point you'll be raptured and you'll know the rapture yeah. is starting because like all the Jews have gone back to Israel and there's like this this war like what what's up yeah. with that actually I did a comic 10 years ago called Evangelical Zionist Tours of Israel so um, I another case of maybe satire being eclipsed by reality or reality mimicking satire um, but no I, I, I I have a theorem that I have a theorem that says um, if a person uh, wait, I'm trying can't remember it like uh, off the top of my head but um, if so, if the response to saying that someone's anti-Semitic is no they support Israel you're saying they're anti-Semitic if that's your, if that's your go you know like for instance with Trump it's always his go because he can never say anything about actual Jews he says no I, I'm the greatest supporter of Israel look at the embassy you know look at all the, this this stuff I've done. Well, that's, that's an indication. I'm not saying that he himself is anti-Semitic, although he methodically uses dog whistles in order for political ends. Um, but it's an indication that there, there is a Jew, 
a Jew hatred, Jew hitting uh, strain or tropes, if you will, within his persona. Well, he couldn't mention Jews in his remembrance of the Holocaust. However, he did mention Jews when he was trying to say, um, oh, I'm not anti-Semitic. I love Jews. My lawyer is a Jew. Also, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, he also talks about his you know, son-in-law and, and, and daughter. I, I, I do think it's interesting, though, in terms, if I can bring it back to New Zealand, um, his first reaction to New Zealand was uh, posting a Breitbart uh, homepage. And Breitbart is one of the leading neo-Nazi adjacent Islamophobic websites out there. So he was he was dog whistling there or shit posting, essentially. And also the next day, he, immediately after doing some perfunctory uh, best wishes to the families of New Zealand, he posts something of that ridiculous um, Jexodus thing that that uh, astroturfing. A fake org of Republican extremists who are pretending that Jews are making an exodus from because they, they can't use the term exodus; they have to say exodus uh, yes. from the Democratic Party. Exodus for Jews. Yeah, exactly. There was a, a long riff on that on the Majority oh Report the other day. It was hilarious, oh, yeah. like Jassover, Passover. Yeah, for no, Jews. it's ridiculous. <laughs> I know, I know. Jews. Yeah, I say Jacapo for for them. So, but wait, wait, Jews would never thing? make an yeah, exodus. Yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> to Jisrael, no way. Yeah, <laughs> Israel for Jews. Promised land, Jisrael. But but I. I I do think it was part of his um, shit posting kind of thing, like posting the Breitbart thing the night before and then posting this thing, you know, oh, I'm so sorry about the death of these Muslims. Meanwhile, uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Jews are leaving uh, uh, the Democratic Party or Democrat parties, he says. I think it's, you know, kind of like insinuating these Muslims were killed, but they're really not on your side and also sowing division within the left. That's what he does. And so, I mean, uh, I, I think that hasn't gotten enough t- attention. Also, I, I noticed that... Um, I'm probably saying her name wrong, Bataya Unger Sargon at Forward. Uh, she, so she was like one of the the main people like leading the charge against Ilhan Omar. Yes, and everybody was pointing out to her how hypocritical it is to like focus on this one very mild thing that you'd like really have to stretch into being anti-Semitic. And she's responded to that by just trying to call out every single trope. Like she went against uh, Piro for the comment about uh, Omar wearing the hijab. Like right. good for her. But now she's against Steyer, against uh, Jim Jordan. Yeah, and she referred to that Trump tweet saying it's anti-Semitic for him to equate Jewish Americans with Israel. But I feel like she's just like comically put herself in a Sisyphusian task of now calling out every trope she sees for the rest of her life because she refused to call it out before Ilhan Omar made the comments. And also because she received a lot of uh, justified criticism from the left for adding to this Islamophobic vilification. Mm-hmm. And so she's, I think, I mean, I don't know her motives, but it seems like, you know, to add to what you're saying, it's possible that she's... Uh, sort of trying to diffuse the, that potent uh, targeting of a Muslim woman of color congressperson. Now, one of the great things about having a podcast with excellent guests like uh, Ellie Valley and others is that uh, when they're nice, and most of them are, they send you PDFs of uh, their books, which we <laughs> w- actually we never share them, of course, but we do get to uh, experience and uh, enjoy them. So... Diaspora Boy, the book, is uh, incredible. It's a compendium of your comics over the last 10 years or so. With, I think, Jamie and I both read it, Andy, and I'm not sure if you did as well, but the introduction itself, too, where you're describing these things, I think was really powerful and kind of just hammered down on what it is exactly that you've been doing, what your mission as a comic, but also as like a writer and a thinker has been. So to kind of do a more broad view thing... Um, for folks who aren't familiar, perhaps, with your work or even a lot of these issues, like, can you just give us a, a broad example of, like, what's Israel Man versus Diaspora Boy? What are these, you know, this Zionism, this uh, kind of hegemonic Zionism that exists where the APAC is, like, represents the 
Jewish quote unquote community as a whole. Just kind of talk broadly about your work and okay. where it situates itself. Okay. Um, Israel Man Diaspora Boy itself uh, is a satire of uh, Zionist uh, denigration of the diaspora and denigration of uh, Jewish. Uh, existence, both uh, physically, uh, materially, spiritually, artistically, in, in every sense, uh, outside of Israel. Uh, it emerged uh, in the 19th century along with a lot of European nationalist movements, and so you could sort of uh, not like excuse, but you can sort of understand where it was coming from, but the fact that it was not thrown away once the state was established, and in fact, despite uh, the protestations of ideologues who were like, oh, we are, we are normalized now, we don't do that anymore, it's bullshit, they do it to this day with Netanyahu insisting that not only is he the voice of world Jewry, but that uh, Jewry outside of Israel will wither. I mean, this is like, it's like Zionism 101 to this day. And uh, when you see, you know, I mean, not to give any spoilers, but when you see Israel allying with actual Nazi movements throughout the world, it's like it's like the satire of, of Israel Man Diaspora Boy becomes a dystopian reality. That's so creepy. <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry, really? Sorry to bring to, the news. It's a, it's a bit of an understatement to call it creepy, I guess. Uh, uh, it, it just goes to show you what a liberal bubble I grew up in, that I was not even that aware of these tropes about the Jewish diaspora. Like, I don't know. I grew up uh, very uh, reform, I guess. My, my parents went to the, this humanistic Judaism group uh, that was like very hippy-dippy. And even that was like too much for me because I was like a little Richard Dawkins and hated religion. <laughs> I mean, now I'm sure that I would have a more nuanced view of it because I know that Judaism is not just a religion, it's a culture and a people, mm-hmm. but um, at the time I was like, "Oh, religion sucks." But um, you did look great in a fedora, but yeah, go on. But why? Thank you. <laughs> but like, we were never taught that the Jewish diaspora was bad. Wait, we I just were want, just can like I push back a little bit. Uh-huh. A lot of it comes in uh, subconscious and um, just very widely assumed in unquestioned ways. Like you know the term Aliyah to go to Israel. Mm. That's a term that literally means ascent. So. Our international Jewish, you know, Hebraic into English, every language term for Jews moving to Israel is moving up, ascending to a higher plane. That is just something that you just take for granted without actually, I'm not saying you don't question it, but I mean, we as a community haven't questioned even the terms we use uh, for our internal uh, uh, Jewish-Israel diaspora relationship. Jamie, after your Passover Seder, did your parents ever say next year in Jerusalem? Oh, you know what? As a matter of fact, they do that no. every year. Yeah, but honestly, that my, though, my grandparents <laughs> say it. I, I think there, though, that that has been um, in the Haggadah for centuries, and so if, right. if you look at Israel from a spiritual perspective, uh, you know, when the Messiah comes next year in Jerusalem, that's what it means. I don't think it's necessarily Zionist. Obviously, it's it's distorted into Zionism today. Mm-hmm. And that's problematic, hmm. but I w- that wouldn't be my primary example. I think it's hard for uh, people like me and Jamie. He, you know, I was bar mitzvah, but I basically grew up secular to like separate it at this point right. because it all got so smashed together. And, you know, yeah. my, my temple was a, a reform, very liberal temple, but it had the Israeli flag right there on yeah. the Bima. I think that would be a great, um, extremely uh, controversial, but much needed uh, campaign of one of these uh, lefty Jewish organizations to say, hey, take that fucking flag off the Bima. Yeah. It's a spiritual <laughs> place. Why do you have a flag of a foreign country there? It's not going to go it's over well. It wouldn't go over well, but hey, let's start. I mean, maybe in 10 years. But it's implicitly political, right? That's what you're saying. When, um, when that flag sits there, what you guys are saying is that it's when you're going to temple, when you're going to mass, you are seeing a political representation directly within this flag, these two flags, right? 
Yeah, yeah, America. yeah, yeah. Um, we don't call it mass, babe. <laughs> you say mass, I miss that. <laughs> oh, I'm so. Oh my god. Good. Uh, you're gonna make me so embarrassed. Um, so this, um, I think your book brought up some things I hadn't really thought about before, and even now when you talk about like the Israel flag and stuff, because you know what we were explicitly taught growing up was like oh, isn't it great? We have this Jewish community in the U.S. And like, it's we're all we're part of the melting pot, you know, and my family actually took a lot of pride in becoming assimilated, I think. Well, uh, the fact that they took pride in the melting pot, I mean, that is part of like the American Jewish um, sort of narrative. Uh, it's one of the reasons that Passover holiday is uh, one of the most uh, crucial and uh, emblematic uh, customs for American Jews. Um, and so it is, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that we're all walking around like lemmings uh, and, I, and I'm really lemmings following Israel off the cliff. Um, I, and I'm glad that your family had sort of that kind of experience. But within uh, Jewish ideological um, sort of debates, um, it's it, they, they don't really uh, emphasize the wonderful uh, assimilation of American Jews into a multicultural pluralistic society. What they say is you're intermarrying. Your kids will not be Jewish. And the Jewish people will disappear outside of Israel. It's literally what they say. That is um, in the intro to your book and also in a lot of your comics. That is the central thrust for these uh, right wing sort of Likudnik or Orthodox or Orthodox um, Zionists is that um, they see what Jamie describes or Andy describes as an assimilated upbringing in the diaspora in the United States as the chief enemy right now. As the attenuation of your identity. It's just so nuts to me because like. I've never seen a conflict there. Like, my family has never seen a conflict there between, like, being a part of American society on the one hand and carrying forward these traditions on the other. That's, I, I feel that's the way it should be. Uh, and also, you know, like, there are two attitudes, I mean, to everything, but um, to intermarriage, you know, one attitude is like, oh, you've cut yourself off from the Jewish people. The other attitude is, hey, we can welcome the stranger into our tent, so to speak, literally, from the book of Genesis. And, um, you know, uh, have a stronger and more, more multi-hued uh, Jewish body politic as a result. How can, you know, how, how is that uh, a loss? I the think universal we... in the particular. Maybe even get some of that uh, hybrid vigor into our bloodline. <laughs> Although, uh, as it turns out, it's very possible that uh, Sean is some kind of crypto Jew. It's true. Oh. We're going to have to cut that out, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. too much lineage. <laughs> <laughs> too much lineage. And, uh, but, you know, the, the great thing is that according to uh, law, as I understand it, um, we did the right kind of miscegenation, right? Since you're female and mm. you will make Jew- Jewish babies, I think maybe a compromise position is that you know, Goyesha men should be able to marry no shikses, right? We can't have it go the other way. But as long as we keep, you know, making Jewish babies, it's fine. Isn't that a compromise? Are we, are we recording now? I can't tell. You said <laughs> pause. Okay. We're, we're always recording. I, I, no, you said pause. I can't tell. Um, I know you're kidding, but I actually, I don't even like the term shiksa because it, it is um, Fair enough, pejorative. Yeah. I mean, you're fine. You, I mean, I'm not trying to police your, your speech. You're I'm just saying, like, fine. even within that, it, just, just a little point, you know, that we're yeah. shiksa within Jewish discourse is a way of sort of othering and diminishing sure, um, sure. the other. Yeah, we, we, we joke around with these words so much. And, like, I don't know. I, I don't think of, like, a Gentile as being, like, someone you punch down at. Right, I hear because it, yeah. like Jews are more marginalized than Gentiles, but like right. I've heard it used in mean ways too. So maybe I'll think a little it, well, more before I speak. Well, with the McCain um, 
what do you call it, uh, the McCain drawing uh, some people were, were sharing on social media with, like, you know, the term shiksa. So, I, I mean, that kind of stuff, I wasn't really, uh, I didn't want to participate in that side of it, you know. Well, it's partly because um, when I'm doing things that are somewhat incendiary, I really have to um, sort of, you know, choose the, the proper battle. And I'm not going to die over these fucking Wait, words, like, you know. People yeah. were sharing it and, like, Saying like, "Oh, Megan McCain, you dumb but, shiksa!" N- like, not that? quite like that. No, just like the the ultimate shiksa or shiksa splaining or oh, thing, things like that. You know, I see. Um, even the term "goy" I don't like. Um, although "goy" splaining can be funny, but the term "goy" is is used pejoratively, even though it literally means just stranger. Right, right. I mean, "gentile" is, is the right term for it. Yeah, I think ultimately. so. Ultimately, oh. um, well, that's good. You're uh, you're very conscious about how your inflammatory satire <laughs> will, will yeah. disseminate. I was, I was going to say it's it's funny because um, you know you bring up these really good points about language, and yet uh, your work is very very incendiary. Right, and, but I mean on I'm, purpose. But it's interesting that 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 I think what that shows is that your political project in your art. Is like is is different from the sort of edge lordy kind of ironic meme type shit that we saw, you know, being referenced in that New Zealand shooting, right? That kind of throws sure. these terms yeah. around without any uh, any irony or an irony that leads to murder. It, yeah, that was that was very very bizarre and horrific incident. Yeah, yeah. My, my stuff. I someone once referred to it as like you know shit posting. It's like comics are shit posting. I didn't really understand shit posting entirely. I still don't understand the term a hundred percent. But after New Zealand, I think I do understand a little bit better. And no, my comics do not intersect with that because they're not. They're not doing with that. I mean, it, it is like a mind fuck. The whole when you when you try to understand like within the the um, the what do you call it the spectrum of New Zealand's uh, the New Zealand uh, shooters uh, vision. It's um. It's uh, I don't know, really. It's hard to wrap your mind around, like the layers of irony. And yeah, all, yeah. I read the manifesto. Unfortunately, I, I think I, feel like I had to. The yeah. irony is just the is just the mask on the top, like because it's not cool to just right. be a Nazi. Sure. Like the, they they try like the neo Nazis tried to just be Nazis for years and it didn't work, and they've now succeeded right. by being ironic. Okay, that that makes it. Eat more easily explainable, but like stuff in the manifesto, like targeting Candace Owens for the deliberate purpose of because I mean he was being silly when he's like she's my leader. He was oh, doing yeah. that. Deli- it's like yeah. an in joke, wink, wink, but also trying to divide, uh, you know, further uh, and cause a huge whatever civil. But war. But anyone with a brain could tell that was sarcastic. Ah, uh, no, the, some people yeah. took it seriously. Though. Yeah, well, have you been online? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this is this is sort of gets to what uh, like a devil's advocate question I want to ask you because I I understand the point of your comics and generally. I really agree with them. And some of your critics uh, use the, the tropes that appear in your imagery as a way to avoid your point and just call you anti-Semitic. But I think there are others, like Megan McCain, for instance, that uh, don't really understand the, the Zionism versus diaspora tension in, in your work and are just legitimately too stupid and intellectually lazy to understand your point. So, so my question is, is if at some point you, you worry that your satire does cross the line if not into offensiveness, then into illegibility. <laughs> illegibility? I hope not. For, um, for people who just aren't curious enough to understand uh, what you're trying to say. Yeah. You know what? If that's the case, uh, it's, not, it's not my concern. I'm not, I'm not here to um, hold the hands of the ignorant, you know? And, I mean, th- there are different, um, different accusations of anti-Semitism that I've gotten. Uh, hers was, I think, unique because I was making fun of a Christian woman's appropriation of Jewish uh, ephemera and Jewish trauma and fetishizing us. And so to call that anti-Semitic, just, it takes a, such a complete uh, warped uh, misreading 
uh, of my of that particular work. But I mean, obviously, she was just trying to weaponize it, like everyone tries to weaponize yes, it against me. But in other cases, sometimes um, uh, I am using um, deliberate anti-Semitic um, sort of visual tropes to mock Zionist. Uh, uh, attitudes towards diaspora Jews, particularly in Israel Man and Diaspora Boy, and that you know I'm making fun of the anti-Semitism that is inherent in Zionism. When when people say though that I'm doing anti-Semitism, like with this new Ben, ben Shapiro comic, that I will reject entirely because they say, oh, because you draw in black and white, and Der Sturmer was in black and white, and you depict uh, Jewish people in a negative way, that means that you're like Der Sturmer that's depicting all Jewish. No, I'm depicting right-wing hypocritical scumbags who are part of the reason uh, dozens of people were murdered in New Zealand. I mean, you know, it's like uh, to use the, the accusation of Der Sturmer or Nazis when I'm fighting Nazis, that's fucking... Uh, not just irresponsible, but it's like it, it's the most bad faith um, attack comprehensible. Reading the introduction to your book, I think you did an excellent job by using, you know, historical representations of diaspora Jews going back to Herzl in the beginning of the Zionist movement to show, you know, these this portrayal of the degeneration of the diaspora Jew. But for the people out there listening at home who haven't read that or, or seen that in your work, can you explain uh, just how wh- how you think this is being instrumentalized? These tropes about the diaspora Jew as being lesser than having not ascended yet, and and what that does politically? Uh, well, you mean over the course of uh, the history of Israel, or like today in particular? Um, how perhaps just a little bit how it's been used in the past and what it's turned into now with this new anti-Semitism, as Finkelstein would would say. Yeah. Um, well, throughout the course of um, Israel's history, um, American Jews were looked upon at, or have been looked upon as simply, uh, you know, looked upon by Zionist ideologues as the voice of Israel in America. Um, although there is a little bit of nuance there because sometimes, you know, um, Jewish federations would uh, fundraise and actually do um, philanthropic activities to help, uh, for instance, you know, Holocaust survivors in Israel or the like. And so from that perspective, it was like American money um, assisting uh, Israelis in need. But I think the larger one, the larger sort of discourse was um, Israel seeing us as an arm uh, because uh, in tandem with Israel as our protector and our shield, uh, because it, it would it would be the only place we could uh, eventually go to when the inevitable Holocaust comes in every diaspora community. So one thing I really like about your work is like, at least to me, I think the clarity, like there's a there's such a moral clarity here. Um, and I think the Ben Shapiro one is a great example, this new comic, because, you know, you see I'll describe it because this is a podcast. Mm. Uh you see him, you know, he's crying, these crocodile tears. On YouTube. He's saying, yeah, on, on YouTube, he's saying, Muslims murdered while praying, unconscionable, my heart bleeds, the inhumanity. We may never know what could possess a person to commit such evil. And then at the same time, he's holding up a chart that says the Muslim menace, you know, basically making a correlation between Muslims and terrorism going up. And then all of the suggested videos on the side, you see... Ben Shapiro shreds Muslim birth rates in the assaults on civilization. Uh, Ben Shapiro's March meme madness, Islamic infestation edition. Uh, Ben Shapiro's epic (laughs) takedown of Arab skull shapes. And Ben Shapiro proves with logic he did not inspire Quebec mosque shooting. 
It was inspired uh, that you had autoplay on in the comic too, yeah. because that's so much of how these things get the. Oh yeah. yeah, and like I, we were talking before the show about whether or not we think Ben Shapiro is going to respond to it, and like I think maybe not because, like, what can you possibly say to that? You know. Uh, yeah, I don't think. I mean, <laughs> I'm not gonna. Uh, reject uh, his response to it, but I think um, it's possible that uh, he wouldn't want to draw attention to such a um, clear-eyed d- uh, portrayal of himself. And I think he is a little bit... I've seen, like, um, Nathan Bernard, is that his name, on Twitter? Uh, he, he's been, he goes after Shapiro for uh, fomenting Islamophobia a lot. And ben, that, I think that sort of ruffled Ben Shapiro's feathers because he's basically saying that you are a um, ideological mastermind behind terrorist attacks. And eventually, if this, if this keeps, like, um, gaining traction and if people keep, you know, if people increasingly look at the kind of vile, hateful things that Ben Shapiro says, there could be actual um, personal consequences um, when there are repeated uh, murders of Muslim people, right? There. It's bizarre, right? Because there's like we're we're talking about all these tropes and all these co- sort of cultural signifiers uh, floating around. What makes it difficult is that this comic, you know, is brilliant, and like, and we all understand what Ben Shapiro does on a day to day basis. There's of course that famous tweet where he said, "Is Israelis or Jews like to build shit? Uh, Arabs like to live in open sewer and blow blow stuff up." Hashtag settlements rock, uh, something like that, right? Yeah. So literally. we we know that you know he he he's direct sometimes, and people like him are direct sometimes. But there's no like one to one correlation because when these things and these signifiers and these uh, Islamophobic ideas bounce around, you know, um, not everybody, of course, is going to become a New Zealand shooter. So it gives people like Shapiro and others a sort of. Um, I don't know, like... uh, Plausible deniability. Yes, thank you. Plausible deniability. But I think the game that Shapiro is trying to play here is, like, honestly, he doesn't care if Muslims get killed. Um, And he's feeding into something that causes the deaths of Jews and Muslims, right? But he thinks he can do it to the benefit of the, you know... I don't want to say the Jewish side because, like, I'm not on that side. Right. But, like... His Jewish side. Yeah. By the way, he would call you a Jew in name only. Literally. That is a term he used for uh, Jews that support uh, that supported Obama, which means uh, three out of four um, American Jews. So, you know, they keep calling me an anti-Semite. These people, people of uh, Ben Shapiro's ilk, despise the majority of American Jews. Why aren't they called anti-Semites? I mean, I'm mm. calling him an anti-Semite. There you go. But I, uh, I don't know why that hasn't taken off a little more. Yeah, and... I think another theme to your comics that I really like is like showing the ways that those people actually are hurting Jews. Like they think that they, they equate Jews with Israel, I guess. So they think that, you know, I mean, I've had it said to me by a Zionist friend, um, anti-Semitism is one of the oldest forces in the world. It's never going to go away and we're never going to be safe unless we have a Jewish state with, like, you know, nukes, I guess, and tons yeah. of military aid. And that's just fundamentally not reconcilable with my view of the world, which is, you know, the brotherhood and the sisterhood of humanity. Yeah. It's like, you know, Bernie Sanders, my religion is socialism. Yeah. I believe we were all in this together. <laughs> but, like, it's, it's creepy to me that people are willing to make alliances with literal Nazis or anti-Semites or, or like, like you say in another cartoon, like poking the Muslim with a stick repeatedly in order to preserve their idea of what the Jewish state is at the expense of 
more, most of the Jews in the world, I would say. I Agreed. mean, I don't have the numbers on that, how many Jews are like, you know, diaspora and how many are Zionist Israelites, but... Uh, yeah, I, I agree that they're um, putting us in jeopardy. Sorry. One thing that, just add, to add to that, one thing I think your book does really well, especially the, the introduction, which, I mean, people who haven't read, uh, who have seen your comics, uh, the introduction adds a lot of context to it, um, is, is you, you demonstrate how there's a, a, a tendency in Zionism, if not, you know, uh, something essential to Zionism, that basically sort of envies and, and reproduces the, the right-wing, ultranationalistic uh, sentiments of Europe um, that that was creating anti-Semitism and sort of repackages it to create a a far right uh, mirror image within the Jewish community. Like you talk about zero population growth, which is something that it sounds like you were. I never heard about it as a kid, but apparently you were heavily indoctrinated by this idea that Jews were going to fade away. The Great uh, Replacement. There was this anti. But yeah, basically, there's this anti-communism. There's a picture of you protesting the Soviet Union. Uh, yeah, wait, I just want to say, I think as a young the great, child, right? the, yeah, the great replacement. Um, that's the thing about how whites are being replaced. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I don't think ZPG um, was intersecting with that. I do think ZPG. I think I googled it when I was working on the book. Um, it it was used in the in the Jewish world, but it actually came out from I think the uh, I think maybe the environmental mo- movement or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, right about in how the that 70s, was in the seventies, yeah, yeah, but yeah. like as a goal, right? Yeah, they, they, they were saying in a positive way, right. and then suddenly <laughs> the rabbis were, were delivering sermons about how actually, you know, within the Jewish world, we're, we're, we're dying out. So uh, to to get back to what Andy was saying, um, what exactly was the Zionist issue with the Soviet Union? Was it just that Jews were treated badly there, or was it more than that? Oh, it wasn't a Zionist issue; it was a Jewish issue. I mean, it, it intersected obviously, you know, uh, American Jews. Um, Especially in the in that era, were were uh, more Zionist than they are today in the you know aggregate. Um, so, but I mean, the Zionist uh, lens of that would be that um, you know, a lot of them were trying to get out and go to Israel. Though actually, a lot of them were trying to step off in Israel and get the hell to New York, <laughs> um, which is what happened for quite a few of them. Um, but um, but that that would be the Zionist angle. I don't think um, that movement was uh, predominantly. Um, you know, Zionist-oriented uh, movement uh, necessarily, although, again, it, it, they intersected a lot. I, I have a, a kind of historical point, an, an historical irony, if you will, because uh, in, I believe, 2015, Abe Foxman of the Anti-Defamation League basically got you fired from the forward, right? Yeah. Which is, a, of course, still a famous um, Jewish magazine. If you go down to the Lower East Side, uh, anybody that lives in New York, you can do this, and you go to East Broadway and Essex Street, you'll see a 10-story building that says on it, uh, Forward, Forward Magazine, which was formed in the late 19th century by Jewish socialists. It was literally named after the same paper of the German Social Democratic Party, the Marxist Party. The Forward Magazine from that time, you know, this this Yiddish uh, uh, newspaper, which had a, I think a, a half million people at its height, um, what has bas-reliefs of Marx, Engels, uh, LaSalle, and I think August Bebel on the side of it. And it's fascinating to me that, um, you know, o- over or 100 years later, right, in 2015, coming out of that tradition that you could be fired, you could be basically snitched on and fired uh, because of doing the provocative sort of, um, you know, anti-Zionist work that you do when ultimately what the forward came out of and what a lot of the Jewish community was about 
uh, when they first came here was about the Bund, was about socialism. And the forward, the kind of movement that it went from being a Jewish trade union-oriented social democratic uh, newspaper to now just being, uh, I don't know what, what they do at this point in time, I think shows a lot how the American Jewish experience uh, has changed, right, over the last hundred and something years. From yeah. socialist to you know, now more uh, conservative with commentary and tablet yeah, and everything. Yeah. I mean, I do think that um, the actual American Jewish community is definitely on the left, um, and tablet and commentary are sort of um, well-funded outliers to appeal to, you know, fail sons like uh, Hot Horace. <laughs> um, but, but I don't think they... they Where's my snippers? <laughs> I don't think they, they tap into an uh, organic need, but, but I, do, I do agree that the Jewish community, I mean, just from the point of view of the Ford was originally in Yiddish, mm-hmm. and now Yiddish speakers are definitely not as plentiful as they once were, and Yiddish used to be a, a binding uh, vernacular for the entire... Um, or not the entire, but obviously there were, there were people who didn't speak Yiddish, but uh, definitely the New York immigrant society was Yiddish-based. So here's a question. N- immigrant that, Jewish society, I should say. Okay, go here's on. Here's a question that just popped into my head. Like, how important is race to the Zionist ideology? Like, is it good enough for them that, like, um, we carry on the traditions and the culture? Or is there something, like, magic about Jewish blood Cause like my little cousin is adopted from China and she just went on birthright and basically cause it was a free trip to Israel and I haven't talked to her yet about the experience there, but, um, I'm kind of curious, like how, how, how the, how the Zionist framework would react to something like that. Um, well, I think race is sort of complicated within Zionism because, um, they like, uh, you know, the ideologues like to boast about, for instance, people of color in the Israeli army uh, without mentioning, you know, uh, definite uh, evidence, you know, evidence racism throughout Israeli society, the treatment of uh, African refugees and the way, uh, for instance, um, uh, Ethiopian and Yemeni uh, immigrants to Israel, uh, their culture, or especially Yemeni, just horrible things, uh, culture uh, being um, eliminated, erased, destroyed, etc., um, but also uh, from within the perspective of, of conversions, I think in general um, they would claim that um, anyone who converted um, legitimately uh, throughout you know whatever denomination um, I'm talking about like a secular Zionist would say you know would probably welcome them. But the problem is that um, uh, Israel uh, gave over the uh, rabbinate to extremists and and they would not recognize any conversion outside of their uh domain and so there's that internal um uh tension as well because it's it's always weird when we talk about um, nationalism and you know specifically ethno-nationalism um we've had some some debates on this show like is all nationalism the same is all nationalism equally bad or uh, is it okay when people develop a nationalism in response to being oppressed? And I think it, it, it's an interesting case to look at Israel because it is a kind of ethno-nationalism that arose in response to oppression. I think we can all agree about that. But like now in the present day, it seems more like uh, the nationalist of oppressors and like ideas on race have shifted 
such that, you know, Jews are considered white now throughout much of the world. So it is uncomfortably similar to a kind of white nationalism that uh, I think we can all agree is really bad, but it's confusing, right? Because Jews occupy this sort of liminal space and like different people say the Jews are white or not white based on whatever ideological point they're trying to make. Uh, yeah, and also there are Jews of color in Israel and throughout the world. And so, um, but in terms of, you know, the sort of structure of oppression, um, you know, even from the start there, you know, because I think nationalism has turned into chauvinism and jingoism at this point within Israel. But, you know, originally it was um, to the extent that it was emerging from oppression. It was also maybe more positive aspects of re renewal or whatever of Jewish culture. But even if it was entirely a reaction to oppression, um, if the only way to resolve that is the dispossession of an entire people, then my view is uh, it's, it's not a good bargain, you know? Yeah. And so, something that I think you're getting at, Jamie, is that uh, there, there are aspects to Zionism and the foundation of Israel that sounds um, redeemable uh, historically. Like you can watch, you can see videos of I, for, I forgot who it was an Israeli PM saying that Israel is the most anti-fascist state in the world. We're going to take refugees, not just Jewish refugees, but refugees from anywhere. We're going to be a liberal democracy. Uh, it was even conceived of as being something of a, a workers' state at one point to include Arab workers. Now, if if that was ever going to happen is is debatable. Right. And um, uh, I, I read a book called the the Jabotinsky Affair. I don't know if you've read that. No. It, he, was, it, he was the revisionist, right? It, it makes yeah. the argument that there was like this struggle between labor Zionism and what now is Likud between you know social democ European social democracy and like the far right in Europe within Israel. And at first, Ben Gurion as a labor candidate won out, but then over time, Jab as Zionism became war Zionism the Jabotinsky tendency totally took over. I don't know if that's totally fair. I think Zionism always had a very racist, colonial uh, aspect to it. But Yeah, I, I also think um, that's something that we teach ourselves and when we're trying to redeem the idea of Israel. Mm -hmm. And I know that I've experienced that as well. But when you look at it, you're talking about Ben-Gurion as sort of like the, the social democratic uh, visionary. Is that what you're saying? Like, no, is he the before, model you're saying? Before the foundation oh, of Israel. Okay. Yep. Um, re whether it's him or someone before him, um, we hold them up as models, but at the same time, uh, they were perpetu or they were committing ethnic cleansing, and so we can't. It's, I mean, so I'm agreeing with you. I mean, we, we can't separate the two uh, unless they were adamant at the time of Israel as a place for all of the people that live within its uh, you know borders and uh, being sort of a binational uh, multicultural state. But I don't know if that was ever maybe uh, maybe the, there were some. Zionist uh, actually that that did um, sort of push for that, but I think they were sidelined early on. But sort of my point is that that's a historical debate and it's an important one. But how it comes up in conversation today is that when we're talking about Israel, we get dragged into like debates like this over whether uh, that you know uh, Zionists want to, especially liberal Zionists, want to point to the uh, something good in the Zionist tradition. Uh, as if it still exists today in the state of Israel, and it doesn't. Like Israel is is more right wing, more racist, more closed to to refugees, more anti Semitic in certain ways than ever. And in fact, uh, when this debate's happening, when people like Barry Weiss are trying to portray Israel as a as a liberal place, a tolerant place, Netanyahu is drifting farther and farther into the into right populism. 
to the point when he's he's recently aligned himself with the racist Jewish Power Party, um, declaring that Israel is for Jews only. It's a terrorist uh, party, by the way. And yeah, uh, recognized Kahane, by the Maya United Kahane. States. Yeah. Um, they, one of them has a um, picture of Bar- uh, Barack Goldstein in his office, right? Right, and Barack Goldstein, uh, the guy who's yeah. mur- who, mur- who actually did like New Zealand in Hebron. In the 90s. In the, uh, the cave of the Patriarch's yeah. Massacre. Um, and in the 90s, uh, if you said that there, were, there would be uh, people in Parliament who defended the settlers in the West Bank, that would sound insane. But now it's, it's totally the reverse. Yeah. So these arguments that, that Zionism used to be, uh, or, or Zionism is something like inherently progressive or something, where it's like, well, it hasn't been that way for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but this is, this is like, I think, the problem with debating Israel, is you get is you get this debate where someone says, well, there's something pure and good about Zionism, and there's something uh, sinister about anti-Zionism, and let's just debate those two like small core poles instead of the actual t- what's actually going on That's there. interesting. That's interesting. How they, how they, uh, they give the benefit of the doubt to the, the core of Zionism, but they give the benefit exactly. of the opposite of doubt yeah. uh, to uh, the core of anti-Zionism. Yeah. Um, I also like how for Barry, Brett Stevens, and all of these... Um, Partisans, uh, you know, they, they're all like boasting uh, or implicitly boasting about how uh, Netanyahu's embrace of a terrorist party was a step too far for them. How that proves that they're actually, you know, liberals who who you know believe in uh, you know freedom for all peoples. Um, you know, if 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 Kahani terrorism is a step too far for you, that's nothing to brag about. Okay. Yeah. You missed the boat by many, many miles. I, I'd say so. So to move on to some other uh, hot news, I think perhaps the topic of uh, Ellie Valley's next comic, uh, Chelsea Clinton is in the news because she went to NYU and got brutally assaulted with words by an activist. After all that you have done and all this homophobia that you have This, this right here is the result of a massacre stoked by people like you and the words that you put out into the world. And I want you to know that, and I want you to feel that deep inside. The 49 people died because of the rhetoric that you put out there. All right. That um, probably needs some context. Uh, Ellie, you want to give us kind of the background on why... Um, uh, an activist at NYU would be saying such horrific things to Chelsea Clinton, who is one of our favorite uh, heiresses of the, yeah, <laughs> of the political world. What's what's going on there? Uh, well, um, maybe just like two weeks ago. I don't even know. We I feel like the past uh, week or two weeks has been like six months to a year. Yeah, right. But uh, I'm not sure when it was. Two or three weeks ago, um, uh, Chelsea Clinton signal boosted uh, the Islamophobic uh, attack on Ilhan Omar for saying maybe. Uh, monolithic uh, uh, APAC, uh, you know, uh, not control, uh, influence in uh, American politics is not ideal. And, um, and you know, the whole thing about tropes, uh, she, uh, the forward op-ed editor was going after um, Ilhan unjustifiably for that, and then Chelsea Clinton signal boosted that. Uh, there is one little little thing. I think I think the forward person said, uh, as an American Jew, you know, trying to speak for all American Jews. Chelsea then said, as an American, a lot of people have been misinterpreting that in my view as saying I'm American. You are uh, you, Ilhan Omar, are not really American. I thought she was just saying 
you know, the forward person is a Jew, American Jew. I, I'm not a Jew, but I'm saying it as American. Regardless, she was still signal boosting Islamophobia. <laughs> Whether yeah. or not she meant it, it's a trope, okay? And I think she might have retweeted a Nazi in the process. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Did that, that happen? Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's burying yeah. the lead. I think, yeah, that happened. Um, anyway, uh, th- this woman uh, from NYU, uh, you know, her pain in that, I mean, I just listened to the audio. It's just so palpable. And for, for Chelsea's defenders to be like uh, tearing this, this, this student down when, I mean, I, my analogy was like within 24 hours after the Pittsburgh shooting, of course Jews uh, were, were just like, you know, bleeding essentially, you know. And um, of course, if we had encountered anyone who had in any way uh, contributed to anti-Semitism, we would have let them have it, mm-hmm. including the fucking president. And we did let him have it, yeah. at least those of us who are not fucking worse mm-hmm. than capo filth who were like celebrating him. Um, so, so of course, this uh, this woman at NYU was her pain was raw, and and we it was a, such a great learning moment for Chelsea and her defenders. But instead, they did the opposite, and they're tearing her down. It's like and the, and, and in the video, you see Chelsea Clinton. She's got her her hands up around her chest, and she doesn't apologize. She's like, "I'm so sorry you feel that way." I don't think that what that activist said got got through to her. I, no. I think that we've been talking a lot about all these cross signals that are happening and how pervasive Islamophobia is that maybe Chelsea Clinton in some way doesn't even know that in some small way people like her do have the blood of New Zealand on their hands by signal boosting these tropes about, you know, the Muslim hordes or uh, Muslims being un-American, yeah. Sharia war uh, law, how, yeah. however you want to go with it. No, she just thinks everyone's being mean to her for no reason and she's like this long-suffering, you know, social justice warrior. Also, the girl was wearing a Bernie shirt, so she (laughs) was probably a sexist plant. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, no, a lot of them, a lot of the, uh, uh, you know, the Clinton surrogates, essentially, were were saying that, and and I went off of them saying, you know, accusing, uh, you know, insinuating that a Jew is controlling Muslim anger at a Christian woman is like classic anti-Semitism. Oh, you know? wow. I, I think uh, all the, the anger at, at these uh, two women who confronted her, um, but they wrote an article for BuzzFeed called We Confronted Chelsea Clinton at the Christchurch Vigil, and here's why. I think that the reason why people are so mad at them is because, uh, well, first of all, because they're, they're young women and people hate college students and there's sexism against uh, them. Uh, one of them is uh, Palestinian, so there's Islamophobia. But what I think what it really comes down to is they don't like the fact that they were speaking their mind mm-hmm. against a wealthy, powerful mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. and that they were being rude to this. They were talking out of place, essentially. And, uh, you know, um, it, it's sort of the same thing as uh, when how, why Meghan McCain was so upset at you. Uh, you know, she called it anti-Semitic, but I think she was just upset that somebody was uh, telling her she she was wrong and she didn't deserve uh, what to have the opinion she had because she wasn't thinking them out and they weren't legitimate. Yeah. And by the way, they're the exact same person, Chelsea Clinton and Meghan McCain. <laughs> have you ever seen them in a photograph together? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> it's actually interesting, uh, Meghan McCain being the victim of anti-Semitism uh, last week, and now Chelsea Clinton is the victim of uh, Islamophobia, you know, because she's the person that everyone is talking about within 24 hours uh, of the massacre. It's insane. And also, um, her... Uh, what do you call it? Her defenders have been saying that uh, Chelsea Clinton is not an elected official. She has no power. Imagine the the uh, I don't know the the her the last la- name is Clinton. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jesus Christ. She's, she's an oligarch. She's part of an oligarch family in America. I mean, how can you say she doesn't have power because she's not in the Oval Office? Uh, but and I also want to say, um, 
if, if we want to have any sympathy for, for uh, Chelsea Clinton, I mean, try and have empathy for people, et cetera, um, it was very problematic, her signal bo- boosting the Islamophobia. But also, I think she lost some of the um, potential for that, uh, unless I missed it while I've been here in the studio, um, with, b- that she did not uh, call out her supporters for the death threats and the threats of sexual violence against these two students. Mm. She's been mum on that. She could have gone out and said, hey, I am sorry that pe- she could have done her same, like, oh, I'm sorry that you took my words weirdly, you know, that mm. kind of thing. But she also could have said, hey, lay off them. They are students. Which, by the yeah. way, is what people have been saying to Bernie Sanders for three years now about his supporters, is that why can't he rein them in? No, you know? I mean, yeah. he said it. He's literally yeah. said it to his supporters multiple times. Like, I, I don't want you to go after people in a mean way like and she and she hasn't so that's the point bernie has done yeah right yeah. and then she hasn't and then yeah. there's a double standard there already like yeah. even even the freaking chapo guys told their fans like not to dogpile <laughs> people on twitter like what's wrong with chelsea clinton <laughs> dirtbag uh clintons <laughs> i God. guess like i think the thing that gets to these people the most is, because like people like the clintons really think that the world will be best and everyone will be best off when they are the ones in charge. And they really think that their like horrible, neoliberal, austere vision is the best of all possible worlds. It is for them. Well, it is for them. (laughs) And I think they think it is for everyone is the crazy part. So like the thing that gets them the angriest is when people, you know, regular people, working class people, make them out like they are oppressing them. Like that is the thing that yeah. doesn't compute and that's the thing that they can't handle. And I think that was the source of a lot of, um, a lot of angst during the last presidential election cycle. And I think it's gearing up to be, again, you know, like when, you, when I said single payer will never ever happen, you know, I was saying that for your own good. <laughs> like, why don't you appreciate all the things that I'm doing for you, you know? Uh, totally, totally. Um, yeah, the, the past 24 hours have been a, um, uh, an unpalatable uh, taste of what we're in for within the Democratic Party next uh, year. Well, the, um, there was one attack, the brutal attack on uh, Chelsea Clinton, which we do not support. Um, actually, we might, actually. Um, there was another one. Uh, you know, Gritty was our hero. It seemed like, you know, it's like three months ago. It seems like years ago that Gritty was our mascot. Uh, the guy that punched Richard Spencer, you know, had a lot of memes about him. But one good thing that came out of this last horrific week is that we have a new hero, a guy named Fraser Anning, who we talked about on the episode with Sophie Weiner, who is a Islamophobic, unreconstructed, racist uh, senator in Australia. He's the Steve King of Australia, he's, basically. He's, he's worse, actually. Like he doesn't even use tropes. He just straight up says, like, it was the Muslims' fault for coming that they got murdered. It was their fault. But we had our new hero, a man now, I think, around the world known as Egg Boy, who did a very heroic act. Took two punches in the face for it, by the way. Yeah. uh, By egging Fraser Anning and, uh, yes, getting punched and tackled on the ground. So shout out to Egg Boy. Um, I don't think he's old enough to run for president of the United States and he's foreign born. (laughs) But, you know, if I had to vote for somebody, I'd say Egg Boy 2020. Yeah. Inspirational figure. So here's the question. Uh. What are you writing? I think it's going to be interesting uh, as things progress, especially if Bernie Sanders becomes the nominee for president, because like I was talking to my Zionist friend once again about this the other night. I'm like, hey, if Bernie Sanders is the nominee and he could be the first Jewish president, would you vote for him? He didn't say no. 
It's not. Mm. It's not nothing, right? Like, uh, was your friend a Trump supporter? No. Okay. No. Um, I, he, his politics are very. Um, he he keeps it close to the vest. Hmm. But uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how people react, especially people from the Zionist coalition. Um, uh, they will be vilifying Bernie as an anti-Semite. Trust me, because they, they, he's, they will like not, the guy's a flaming yeah. Jew. I like, think it's very yeah, hard. But he's a flaming American to, Jew to make that catch on in any substantial way. Well, I think. Oh, well, they, they will. I, they they will. I think what we, what we, when you get back to the Bernie thing, like, as we kind of close out, I think it gets down to the core of what we've been talking about this entire time that Bernie is not the right kind of Jew. Yes, and right? Meghan McCain is. They they will. Uh, embrace uh, every evangelical Zionist anti-Semite in America as the real Jews, and we American Jews are, you know, are thrown to the wayside. I also think it, it'll be a very um, poetic and lyrical um, uh, race uh, election if it's uh, Bernie, a clearly Jewish person, a socialist, versus the 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 symbol of all the horrors against marginalized peoples of the 20th century, and the fact that. Israel will overtly support Trump over the actual Jew will tell us all we need to know. And I think that is a great way to close it out uh, because we're looking towards the future. And hopefully with this episode, we understand a little more about this dynamic. And uh, Ellie, thanks for coming in. You are going, I believe, right now to jump on the train and go and do the Chelsea Clinton comic, which will be out by the time this episode airs. So yeah. Godspeed. We, we got a Thank little you. preview of it. <laughs> yeah, it's sure. uh, looking pretty good so far. Thank I think you. it's really going to capture the uh, the kind of saintly, long-suffering <laughs> way in which her supporters see her. <laughs> totally. Uh, I, hope, I, hope it, um, I hope it captures that. And it was cool to see it in process, you know, your sketches, and then yeah. tomorrow when it drops, we'll see. But yeah. you have to pull an all-nighter, so. Yeah, I got it. All right. It's a work. Thanks so much for coming in, man. Hey, this thanks for great. having me. The, you know, I like the questions. It was good, uh, good convo. All right, good times. All right, Thank man. You. So Ellie just left to work on his comic. We had a lot of fun talking to him, although we did not get to everything we wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. It was a very hectic conversation. We are jumping around. We are trying to solve uh, the uh, historical question of the universal in the particular. Um, we were hoping the conversation would summon the Messiah, <laughs> but alas, he didn't come. And so we're, we're still left waiting. Yeah, I think maybe, you know, one recommendation for listeners would be play it at like half speed because we really <laughs> went boom, boom, boom right through that. And uh, Ellie is quite the frenetic uh, talker. And I really liked how 
he pushed back on things. It's really good to have an interview where like people are like, no, it's wrong. Like I thought that Shiksa thing was really good because he did, did point to something really problematic, which is that that's thrown around ironically, but it actually does mean something. And Goy also does mean something. It's like, you know, if I were to, God forbid, say Schwatze, you know, it's that we know is bad. But Yeah, fair enough. Either that or he just really is a self-hating Jew who <laughs> wishes he was a Gentile and doesn't want people to say mean slurs about Gentiles. That's totally fair. He may be Gentile Felix. Gentophilic? I don't know. We also didn't really get a chance to get into your history of Semitophilia, babe. Oh, in my personal life? Mm-hmm. Oh no, it's inter- it's interesting for me because I'm still maybe you guys can can help me with this, but I'm still a little confused on how like the um the Semitophilia thing is also can be anti Semitic. Because when I grew up, you know, again, like we all grew up vaguely in the New York area and places where there's lots of Jewish people. So it's just kind of like a thing culturally in in where we're all from. And for me growing up, you know, there was a real, I'd say even fetishization of um, Jews in my family. Um, You guys want to hear a funny, weird story? By all means. Um, I guess my grandfather could pass uh, when he was a young man. He, his first job at a print shop was run by Orthodox Jews and um, so, like, when they'd start, they'd always ask, like, are you Jewish? And uh, my grandfather had heard from other people in the union that if you were Jewish, they would let you go early on Fridays, especially in the wintertime, so you could make it home for, uh, for Sabbath. So he, for several years, pretended that uh, he was Jewish so that he could go home at 2 o'clock on Fridays. So, shalom. Wow, that's stealing some Jewish valor. It is. He stole. He stole valor. As, as someone with a fairly strong anti-work politics, <laughs> I will say, if anyone wants to put on the mantle of Jewish identity to get out of work, I'm all for that. Well, I'll say this uh, on the, on the um, God. I can't even say it. Uh, philo-Semitic shit. Philo-Semitism. Thank you. Philo-Semitism. Uh, yeah, like I've seen Fiddler on the Roof, like uh, the Zero Most Zero Mostel, and also live like a million times. When I was a kid, like my family was obsessed with it. We were from a liberal church. So there was like interdenominational shit where like, you know, we'd, I'd go to temple and I'd put on a yarmulke once a year just out of like solidarity with like oh, the local uh. Jewish people. So in my family, I think it's weird. There's just this sort of like sense from Gentiles that there's something, I don't know, like pure about this tradition, tradition. <laughs> uh, I will say this, uh, and, and this is like a directly semetophilic, uh, uh, <laughs> can even say it, hemophilic thing. Uh, I've had four great loves in my life, and uh, of those four, uh, two four- are in this room. Who are in this room, and both are Jewish. <laughs> no, I, I the the one outlier is an Italian American woman. You know, the, I don't know wow. what it is about me, but my last my my partner is Jewish, and as was my first girlfriend from Brooklyn wow, Heights. That's- that's really nice to hear, babe, because, like, you know, I've talked with my uh, Asian and black friends about guys who have, like, creepy fetishes for them and how creepy it always is when they realize, like, oh, like, mm, this is a pattern for him. Like, maybe I'm not really an individual to him after all. But I'm like, <laughs> well, Jews don't really have that problem. But, uh, yeah, maybe we, we too, can be uh, fetishized and sexualized based on, based on our ethnicity. So, uh, yeah, cheers to that. It, it kind of reminds me of the uh, Sarah Silverman bit where she's like, <laughs> Jewish girls can be sexy, too. You just put on a little red negligee and yidle, doidle, doidle, <laughs> which I think like speaks to like a lot of the anxieties that right. Jews feel about like not being sexy enough mm. or whatever. It always worked on me. 
I can tell you, since the age I was 15 years old, it always oh, so yeah, you want to you want to do some uh, a little yodel doidling later? Is that sure, what you're saying? Sure. G- getting back to to Eli's uh, Zion versus just diaspora tension. So yeah, there's that I there's this idea that the diaspora Jew is disgusting and weak and just uh, is an accountant or whatever <laughs> and just counts coins and out of shape happy and the, but then the israeli jews are all like fit and happy and like they're in the army Teutonic. so when i was on birthright you know we had all these you always have the troops join and you're you're like uh, there's this rumor that the troops are so hot or jamie, whatever jamie and i both looked at each other like what <laughs> and he's talking birthright? about his life do go on okay okay so the soldiers they're all these good looking so yeah the, we were told that these soldiers are going to be hot we're going to want to fuck them <laughs> And uh, maybe I just got a bad batch because <laughs> there is uh, 10 of them, nine of them were men, and only one of them, only one of the 10 was fuckable at oh, all. There man. was one really hot uh, IDF guy um, <laughs> who somebody did hook up with, and the rest were just, like, really, you know, made you question the standards of the IDF's uh, <laughs> training program. That's that's totally fair. I mean, that's what you get when everybody in your country is in the army, right? It's like... They are also scumbags, too, by the way. Oh, were they? Yeah. What, what what experiences? Did you, I think you're the only one here that's been on Birthright. Unless, really? Yeah. You guys missed out. Uh, I, I, mean, I couldn't have gone to I the was uncomfortable with the idea of it, so I never, never went. Um, my little Chinese cousin just went, so that'll be interesting to hear. Take on that when she gets back. You, you you love to travel, and you gave up the opportunity for a free trip. I mean, it's not really free, okay? <laughs> Andy, was oh, it it's free. free. Oh, it okay. is free. <laughs> they, they 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 want something from you in return, though. No, right? they don't. No, no. Do I they... mean, they want you to like have a relationship with Israel at the end. But if yeah, you exactly if you read some books first, you know <laughs> you, you'll know what's propaganda and what's not. Were you were you woke to this when you were young? Like I'm guessing you were a young punk or anarchist. I went, you... you know, I read some bu- I read like some Finkelstein and and some other stuff, and I came in like fairly ignorant, uh, open minded, but also, you know, there's people on my trip who didn't know what the Sabbath was, and, wow. and I knew enough that like when there was some, bla- you know, ninety percent of the trip is just not very political. It's just kids trying to have fun, but occasionally they would give you some ridiculous propaganda and I knew just enough to argue with it. Like I think on the first day, um, our, our, uh, counselor or whatever, she was like, you know, if you go to Gaza, you're not going to see refugee camps in poverty. Here's beautiful beaches and hotels. And I was like, uh, excuse me. I believe, uh, 80% of the people in Gaza live in, in poverty. And she just knew she couldn't pull that shit for the rest of the trip. Wow. Cause there was somebody on the trip who knew something. Yeah. But that shows that shows though, that she's used to, Nobody knowing that, right? That there's a blockade right. and that they don't get electricity or concrete because, excuse me, ooh, because the, uh, it could be used for tunnels. They can't fish, for example, right in Gaza. The the fishing boats are yeah, past a certain point. Yeah. yeah. Um, I am surprised that you went on birthright, but I would have taken the trip if I had had the opportunity. Again, our good friend um, Commune Situ on Twitter uh, was the ultimate hero uh, who got who went on birthright, went directly to uh, the occupied territories, and got uh, expelled from birthright and banned uh, for life. So, good job, him. If we have any listeners who are uh, under twenty seven, uh, if you're Jewish or not, I recommend you go on birthright. If you're not Jewish, you just have to. Uh, you know, be a little bit dishonest, but it doesn't matter if you don't know anything. Like, like I said, people on the trip didn't even know what the Sabbath was. So, uh, just you know, look at some. 
there's a there's a lot of guides out there on on how to get birthright. Did Interesting. you, Jamie? You fell asleep. I don't know how much of you saw you saw of it last night, but um, I put on this video. You can find it on YouTube. It's called Defamation. Have you ever seen that? It's from like 2009. Yeah, I saw that one. Yeah, that was by, good. by like an Israeli uh, filmmaker, and um, it's about. I mean, it's like about the Anti-Defamation League and the Abe Foxman, who's the leader of that, who was the guy that got Ellie And also fired. F- Finkelstein flipping out at the end. <laughs> yeah, both sides, people, both it's, sides. Yeah, it's a, that's a good documentary. <laughs> it really is. The, the part about Brooklyn was great. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe you won't fall asleep next time we watch it. But what was interesting... Maybe we'll watch it earlier in the night. <laughs> okay. But no, what, I, I encourage folks to check it out. It's really good. And one of the things that uh, it shows is that you know, of course, we know anti-Semitism is real. I think Jamie's tweets right now that she's looking at oh can God. show you that anti-Semitism is really real, not just tropes. Like, people do get attacked um, for being Jewish, and that's obviously absolutely fucking horrific and what we're against. But uh, in the defamation film, it's funny because the filmmaker goes to the uh, New York offices of the, uh, the ADL, and they've got this report that anti-Semitic incidents are at their highest level. This is like 2007. than they've ever been. There's like 1,500 or whatever. And then the filmmaker tries to get examples of it. And the woman at the office is like reading the list. It's like, um, this nurse couldn't take time off for the holiday. Um, some The only one they could actually find that was like somewhat like chaseable as a news story was somebody said that at a like a, a a gathering that the cop said the word jew in the wrong way so a lot of these these reportings of anti-semitic incidents are like used by the adl which is part of that elite in order to kind of uh bring the fear you know it's a lot about like making people more afraid perhaps than than they should be which is nuts because there are act plenty of actual real world instances of anti-semitism happening all the time like i think they are on the rise actually somebody just threw a brick through the window of the chabad in bushwick oh yeah in our neighborhood uh so like that's that's pretty creepy fucked up i really resent the fact that i have to deal on the one hand with uh the zionists who think that i'm a bad jew and, uh, you know, hate myself for criticizing things that Israel does or for being a socialist or whatever. And on the other hand, I still also have to deal with anti-Semitism. Like, not, it hasn't been like a major force in my life. But, you know, once in a while, someone just likes to remind me like, oh, hey, guess what? We've still got a eye on you. Um, yes, uh, Friday on the Majority Report, I cited something that our guest Jay Firestone said which was basically we are in a war right now between socialism and barbarism, between those who on the one side choose to be white, right, and have this notion of white nationalism. Um, They want to preserve the hierarchy and they want to take care of their own in this sort of zero-sum world, Right. And, you know, fuck everyone else with the, with the climate disaster coming. Yeah. And economic crisis. Yeah. All of that shit. And, you know, just like a cultural crisis as well, because there are some very real problems with neoliberal society, capitalist society, which they have identified because, you know, it, it does. It dissolves all social bonds. Liberal institutions are crumbling worldwide. People are so confused. They're so atomized. Everyone's in their own little little hole you know staring at a screen it's the society of the spectacle so uh, i guess i guess i it's hard to distill all these complicated problems into one tweet 
But basically <laughs> I said, you know, we have on the, one on the one hand the people who want to preserve these hierarchies, these old hierarchies. And on the other, you know, if we want to fight them, um, we need to deal with all of the hierarchies at once because they're all interconnected and really impossible to disentangle from one another. And so, liberalism is not the answer. You and said, right? Yes. So I said in the tweet, quote, we are in a war between those who choose to be human and those who choose to be white. In order to effectively stamp out fascism, we must take on all hierarchies at once. White supremacy cannot be disentangled from patriarchy and class oppression. Liberalism is not the answer. Boom. Now, I'm sure there are some little nitpicky things you could find about my tweet, right? Like, obviously, uh, you don't choose to be white, literally. Um, and, like, certainly plenty of people cannot, do not have that choice, right? Like, everyone who does not pass for white is uh, probably going to fall on one side of this fight. Although, although we have seen there are plenty of people who aren't technically white who want, who want to choose to be white, who join the Proud Boys, yeah, right? That's true. Like, yeah. we talked about that extensively in our episode. So, um, you know, I got mostly tweets from people who were like, right on, Jamie. Uh, and then I got some tweets from people calling me a racist against white people, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, of course. Uh, I got uh, an another tweet from someone who was like, oh, of course, a white person said this. And then the pet base found me and they're like, hey, idiots, she's not white. <laughs> and now I've got it's like a swarm of pet bays pet in, my, oh, God. in my oh, my Jesus Is Christ. A Dragon Ball Z thing. I mean, that that stuff drives them crazy because they want whiteness to be they they want their myth of whiteness mm. they they don't want w to to let on too much that whiteness is this thing that has changed over time mm -hmm. and that you know that 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 pepe he might have said it might be like uh polish or something or irish and like or white Colombian. you know someone who who wouldn't be considered white right. um and instead of instead of just saying Wow, whiteness has expanded, so it includes like uh, people who w wouldn't be considered white 50 years ago. They're like, oh, no, there is white, and you're not it. Right. And then yeah. they pulled up some documentary evidence, right? Oh, God, yeah. I've got people going back in time and looking at old, very old tweets in which I said that I'm Jewish, and they're like, oh, we got gotcha. you. <laughs> they <laughs> are very <laughs> dedicated. They were going back years and years to find this evidence of uh, your uh, incipient uh, Judaism. Now... To get back to the New Zealand thing, like which we touched on, I don't want to like beat this to death because every podcast has talked about it. And in my intro to the Camp of Saints thing, when it had just happened, you know, I spoke a bit on it. But I don't know about you guys, but I got the feeling when I first heard that news uh, that for the first time in a while that, as Jamie said, we're in a war. And I felt devastated, but not just for the loss of life, but thinking to myself, like, we're losing. Like, I, I felt for the first time that, like, we are actually losing. Like, we don't have what it takes to stop this shit. We don't have the, the, the power. We don't have the institutions. And we certainly don't have, you know, the, the, the media or the cultural political clout to make a difference in this. I felt very, very dejected after that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we've been losing. Yeah. Like, when I say socialism or barbarism... It, it, it's the degree to the degree to which we're not already living in barbarism. You know, like we talk about a coming crisis that's going to be very clarifying, I think. And we all have to line up on the correct side of it. But like for a lot of people, the crisis has already begun. Yeah, it's a it's a rolling crisis. Um, again, like these sort of moments of horrific violence are um, 
are clarifying uh, in a way. Uh, if you know, I'm out of my despondency period right now <laughs> uh, after that night. Now I'm kind of more contemplative about it, and I think that instead of just giving up and saying like we're losing and we're failing, uh, it just it's one more thing, one more example of why we need to like get our shit together, whatever that means. Well, you know, there, in all a, sorts of ways. I agree with you. There's a lot of ways we are losing, and I, I certainly don't think we're winning at all, but. Lone wolf acts of terrorism show the weakness of of these movements, um, and it seems like they are they do often like get better at it. You know, this was like one of the uh, better right wing terrorist attacks uh, in terms of uh, how well he planned it out. Um, you know, that's that's really horrifying. But the goal of of these Islamophobes is to round up Muslim people and deport them from the country. There, you know, there are uh, there, there are politicians in almost every country uh, uh, that have argued for something like that, including Donald Trump. Yes, um, and they haven't been able to do it. Uh, and and in, in lack of that final solution, eliminationism kind of stuff, uh, the Nazis get pissed off and decide to carry out basically a suicide attack. Um, so yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and, and I, I think over the last couple of years, due to um, you know largely due to the work of anti-fascists, uh, their their political mobilization has fallen apart. Um, so you could see that as something as a win, although it's like a very fucked up dark silver lining. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I mean, we'll never be able to stop. Nazis from carrying out terrorist attacks. Yeah, that's that's actually a good point. And it, it, there's kind of an analogy there, too, to like the last cycle of struggles, uh, you know, in, in the 60s and the 70s. You know, it was only in the, you know, early 70s that the left wing, you know, the new left with the weather underground and various like uh, left nationalist groups and uh, communist groups started turning towards terroristic type violence. And I think that in retrospect, that was a mass movement in decline that had run out of the kind of political mm -hmm. and institutional power and that turned towards whether it was lone wolf or like small cells of fucking idiot college students just like blowing themselves and blowing other things up. You know, that's actually that kind of spectacular but ultimately like worthless symbolic violence uh, does show that your movement is in decline. So I, I, I hope you're right. About yeah, that's that. what I'm trying to say. And also uh, last week, Identity Europa folded and rebranded oh, yeah. as like a, a non-white supremacist style yeah. movement. Like they had to they had to fold and code themselves again. Um, and that's one of the, the larger, more uh, effectively organized white nationalist groups in the United States. That was the Identify Europa thing, right? They doxed yeah. the shit out of a, a ton of them. Mm. So note to everyone who thinks that anti-fascist tactics don't do anything. Yeah. I think when you target it in the right way, it absolutely can. And mm -hmm. if that means, you know, going into their Discord server and identifying them, including a former director of the National Rifle Association, I believe, mm -hmm. was part of Identity Europa, along with a union electrician, IBEW Local 3, fuck that guy, um, you know, you can do that. You can do things on the streets when shit happens. Or honestly, go down to the supermarket, your local bodega, the 7-Eleven, get a dozen eggs, find <laughs> the most racist politician in your area, uh, be very slick and calm and raise your phone and turn it on to record as you just very gently but effectively smash an egg right on their head. Even if you punch a couple times. Mm, that's it's praxis. Great. It's great. Uh, let, let me read something really fast from... Uh Lean Dwyke and Rose Asaf from their BuzzFeed article, uh, Why We Confronted 
Chelsea Clinton at the Christchurch vigil. We know that our only safety is through solidarity. The fight against anti-Muslim bigotry is the fight against anti-Semitism is the fight against racism is the fight against white supremacy. When someone attacks one of us, they attack all of us. We know that our struggles are intertwined, and for any of us to be safe, all of us must be safe. I wanted to take a moment to remember one of our fallen comrades. Um, this is really, really sad news. Um, we lost someone from our little leftist podcast family uh, this week, and that was a guy named Raghav Mehta, who you guys may know from Pod Damn America. It's kind of our sister show in a lot of ways. Um, he unfortunately passed away this week and we're all really broken up about it um our our hearts go out to his friends and his family he was a really i i just wish that i'd gotten to know him better you know i feel like this happens a lot when an acquaintance dies like oh i i thought that guy was really great uh i always wanted to get to know him better and that's all you get now which is really upsetting um he did a great monthly event called paid protest to raise money for the dsa it was a comedy event that was um pretty cool and it was just just like a good a great guy all around funny guy i was going back through some of his tweets and reading them and it was so surreal so we're we're so so sad and we're so sorry for everybody who was close with him yeah and uh rest in power comrade I, I don't know. That's all I can say. Very sad. I am uh, I'm not Muslim. That's what I am. That's how I identify in 2018. Thank you. Uh, not Muslim. Uh, brown, not Muslim constantly get questions about Islam, and that's fine, right? But like being brown, not Muslim in America now, a lot like wearing a red shirt to Target. That's where I'm at. <laughs> so I can wear, only wear red shirts, entire world is Target. That's how that works. But I get it, I know what I look like, I don't get offended, I know like the assumptions people, I look like any of your brown friends if they like owned a skateboard and voted for Harambe or whatever, like. <laughs> I, I used to think I knew what I looked like and a coworker of mine recently told me my face reminds her of Scar from The Lion King. <laughs> that will fuck up your day, right? 
everything you believe in just unravels before you. I was like, what? And she's like, I don't know. It's just your, your skin color and your black beard. I'm like, oh, thanks for uh, putting it delicately. Thanks for that, Lisa. We're going to talk to HR later. She told me I look like Scar from The Lion King, which is surprising for two reasons. One, I don't look like Scar from The Lion King. And two, I never thought I would miss being called Aladdin. I never thought <laughs> I'd be nostalgic for that. All right, I'm gonna get out of here in a second. Uh, I'm a pretty left-leaning guy, pretty liberal guy. No brave thing to say in Madison. But uh, I think guns should be legal. But I think if you're a dude and you want a gun, the government should be allowed to interview at least like three of your ex-girlfriends. That just makes sense. I'm not trying to panic, that's just where you get the pertinent information. You like call up Greg and you're like, Greg, it's the government responding to your application. We talked to Amanda. Amanda said you once punched a wall because you were so amped after an Imagine Dragons concert. Yeah, fuck off, Greg. You're not getting a gun. All right, have a good night, guys. Bye. I got Meta. Yes. Always interview there.